0: Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. How are you folks? It is a somewhat cloudy day here. And as I say it, the sun's coming out. Yeah, I had uh, ran all my errands, did my, taught my class this morning. It was cloudy and there were some horrible accidents here on Route 1. It was ran into some traffic going back it looks like about five five cars got in an accident uh, in a row. I, I can't I can't go on uh, too many times about this but it's like any place else, you got to give yourself some space. you got to keep your eye on the road. The accident occurred where there's relatively little to see. Uh, the one there and up on the way back there was a horrible one I think one with a fatality with a motorcycle and uh, the uh, motorcyclist is be- passed away but like any place well we have it's a highway we have limited space so we don't have a lot of clearance uh where it, it's a highway which has direct access from side rows uh so we're an island so there's not a lot of extra space we got bike paths and everything crossing there's a lot of there's a lot of information to take in when you're driving down the roads here and you got to look out for people on bicycles on motorcycles uh on scooters and that's crossing the road or on the road the motorcycles on the road i assume but It's just a sad thing. And you see it many places, but we see it all too often here in the Keys. Though it has been a while in the Upper Keys that there was a fatality, which is, you know, one silver lining that there hasn't been too many. Well, what I wanted to talk to about today was, I guess, when you're... It's more pertinent to people that are running a bar than for people that are having a one-off party, meaning having a birthday party or something like that. It's keeping items fresh. And when I say fresh, I'm talking about wine, mixers, and garnishes. Because if you're having a party, you're cutting the garnishes, you're you're bringing out the mixers, it's only about for four or five hours. If it's milk or cream, you want to make sure that's you know, being chilled or refrigerated, everything else for about four or five hours. You don't really have to worry about chilling it. And if you're not going to save it or anything like that, the best thing to do would be throw them out. So, but for the bars, there's always a disagreement. Now, I'm just talking about, I'm not saying how to do your business if you're a bartender. I'm just saying this is what works best. First of all, when you're using mixers, it's whenever you have the opportunity to be able to use it in the original container that it came in, that's the best way to do it. I know. There's cranberry juices, orange juices, pineapple, and things like that where they give you, they sell it in bottles and they give you uh, pourers that screw onto the top. And they're the best. And you just got to make sure you, you keep the top clean because once you go through it in the bottle, you put it in your favorite recycling place, and you get a new one. not to worry about cleaning. Now, in the bar business, though, we like to put things in containers. And we put them in storm pours. Storm pours have uh, an ease of pouring it because it comes with a two-part pour because it has a hole at the very top of it. Uh, someone, you know what? The county, I decided to do the show, what, four minutes ago? And the county is, I'm just going to take a peek. It decided to bring, send their mowers out the lawn here. I think it is. I just heard one of those heavy-duty lawn mowing machines coming by. You know, I purposely try to do the recording of the show when there's not a lot of activity on the street and just my luck let's get back to those containers so these containers are quart containers most of the time and they have solid lids where you can seal them up and then you have the screw-on tops big tops with storm pores on it those of you that are in the business know what i'm talking about those are the things you got a cranberry juice has probably the longest kind of shelf life you keep that chilled and stuff like that and every couple uh, cycles couple days you want to wash that out orange juice grapefruit pineapple you got to do that every day you got to do that every day i know you hate that you hate to hear that but if what happens is people have a tendency to add new to old new to old i'm not saying the same day if you go through it an hour you just poured from one orange to say gallon of orange juice. You just poured, cracked it open, poured some into a container, and an hour later you gotta refill it. All right. The stuff in it's still fresh, pretty much no no different than anything else. But when you go a day without refilling, what you gotta do is you gotta empty out the juice in there, either you know, you gotta clean out the container. You got to take the juice out. Either you got to finish it, let it run down. You know, if you don't want to waste it and stuff like that, do what I do drink the stuff. Milk, you want to always keep an original container. I can't even, I know people want to put it in their storm pours. I know, I know they want to. And it's easier to decant. That's the reason why they put it in these containers. It's easier to pour the ones that come in there. But when you're talking about spoilage, or milk or dairy products going be sour it's important not to use another container because every time you shift from one clean container to another supposedly clean container, container you're you're raising the possibility of just contamination or some unsanitary setup now it could be the original one could be unsanitary but once you move it into another container you're just doubling the chances so it's really important to keep those juices cold and the ones with a lot of pulp in it and pulp you know because cranberry juice is more almost like it's it's that's why it's cranberry juice cocktail it's not a uh, fresh cranberry. Fresh cranberry has no sweetener in it and stuff like that it's very bitter and things like that. Now, I'm going to move on from there. I talked about the mixers. You can agree or disagree. It's a free country. I'm just telling you, this is the way to keep them fresh. Your garnishes. Now, a lot of people like to cut a lot of garnishes. I have people I work with, they'll cut like a whole half gallon of limes for the bar. And you really don't need that many. And a lot of times, if you can get by, if you can get by with just having like a cup worth, if it gets really busy, that's the best way to do it. Because the uncut fruit is the best way of keeping it fresh. Once you cut fruit, it dries out. And then it gets kind of soggy, especially when it's sitting in citric. Citric breaks down fruit. And citrus in the fruit is kind of like contained in the in the pulp. So when you cut it, you're cutting through the pulp. You're exposing all the juice. The juice sits in the bottom of the container, the bottom of You know, if you have lime slices and stuff like that, lemon slices, the higher acidity starts breaking down the fruit even more. It's amazing those containers; those that whole fruit doesn't just rot away so quickly as it does when it's cut. And some people, when you're you're using citrus, they like to cut the ends off. If they cut, you know, there's always an argument on garnishes whether to do a half moon. Or a wedge. A half moon is when you you cut the ends off each, you know, where the the stem comes out in the bottom. You cut those out. You cut, cut down through the pith to the fruit. And then you cut it through the middle and you cut half moons. Now, they look good, but they're not necessarily the best ones for squeezing. They're really good. Half moons are really good looking garnishes. Now, there's all different ones. Some people do a full round and put that in. Just you just get more exposure, and a lot of times, if you're going through a lot, it doesn't really matter because eventually, that's you're going to go through those. You're not going to have a lot sitting around. But if you cut up more than you need, it's just going to get soggy and gross. Okay. Same things for uh, olives. Some people like to put olives off to the side. Olives are best best left in the container that it comes in. Because once you put it in a fruit tray and stuff like that, you start to risk a cross-contamination. Like, like I said, people are reaching in that fruit tray. You want to reduce the amount of to- hands that go into each container and keep it that way. And since olives are normally sitting in a saline solution, you know, more of a pickling setup with the brine, the brine is a preservative. You don't have to worry about refrigerating it as much. But once you pop it, you know, you may want to do that because it will get, uh, once you pop the, the lid on, olives and stuff like that, you will get moldy. And especially if you use up all the juice, if you make dirty martinis. Now, another garnish is mint. You If you uh, purchase your mint, like most people, if you make mojitos and you're making some kind of cocktail and stuff like that, you use what you have and you try to space it out. You know, it doesn't really matter sometimes because after a week or week and a half, all that stuff turns brown because it's already cut the mint if you buy your herbs. And it's relatively inexpensive when you buy those herbs. But if you have a plant where a lot of places like where we we are in having a couple mint plants, it's great to have it. Now, I always suggest... Don't take, don't harvest too much off the plant. Harvest a couple more than you need, and then, uh, because it stays, like anything else, it stays freshest while it's still alive. The, the the leaves or the fruit or things like that. And remember, with the, when I'm talking about garnishes, thing we're not using them. It's good to keep them chilled. A lot of these, uh, you don't realize this, but in your garnish trays, your bar trays. A lot of them are waterproof, and you can put ice underneath it. And that keeps it, the more, if you change out the ice regularly, it keeps that that fruit chilled and more perky. It's important. Let's get to this last thing I wanted to talk to, wine. Wine is critical. I don't care... You know, when you're using house wines, those big bottle wines, a lot of times there's more nitrites in it and things like that. So you don't have to worry about it so much. And when it's a house wine, if you don't have a bunch of house wines, the uh, wine, the bottle is only around for a day and you should have no problem with the freshness on that red wine. In the cold, um, I'll talk white wines later, but white wine you don't have to worry about almost ever because it stays refrigerated. The house wines I'm talking about. Now, red wines that aren't the house wine that are more like bottled fresh and meant to be drank with um, within a day of opening. That's the thing you got to watch out. And there's different types. Malbec, Pinot Noir have a more, and wines like that have a more transient quality to them. They start to oxidize, meaning it interacts with the atmosphere. So if you can get one of those stoppers where you pump the air out, you're sucking the air out, you're creating a vacuum, it makes it less reactive. There's also other systems. There's nitrogen systems that they use in beer and stuff like that. Using inert gas, it keeps the wine from... Uh, becoming because a lot of people say until the bottle's open the wine really doesn't really become take on the character that it, it should have until it breathes some but it could breathe too much because then it starts ox- oxidizing and there's a turning to it you can smell it in cabernets and the, the better the cabernet or the better uh, the pinot noir and better all these things right all these things with less preservatives within they change quicker they change quicker. Now, if you live in a cooler environment, let's say it never gets above seventy, you're gonna be pretty good. Or sixties. You're pretty good for a day or two. That's even without putting air out air Now if you take the air out, that's two days. Two days at, at house room temp. Two days for Pinot, all all the at most. Two days. Now, if you put it in a cooler environment, let's say in the 50s, somewhere in the 50s, and, and dark, you may get three, four days out of it. And that's if you seal it up right away. Because you don't want it... It's it's constantly... It's almost like a breathing system where it takes that oxygen and it changes the nature of the red wine. So you, you have that with the red wine. You just got to keep an eye on it for keeping it fresh. And what I do generally, if i I know it's about to turn in a day or something like that. I'll make uh, a better, some of our better reds into sangrias, so we can at least yield some of it. You're using really using really good wine that you wouldn't be able to serve, but you make it into a sangria, and sangria is more stable. I know sangria becomes more stable when you put a couple things in it. When it, it's unusual. So with white wines, now white wines are unique because you keep them cooler. And they have a much longer shelf life, even though you don't put them on a shelf, unless that shelf is refrigerated in a whole bottle. The white wine. So if you have even delicate wine that last more than a week, some people tell you different, but the lower the t- temperature in almost anything, the less reactive it becomes. Okay, think of boiling and think of how Things become when they're frozen. They almost, you think there's less activity in that substance. Now, I'm not saying freeze it. it it's not necessarily good because freezing wine changes the nature of it too. Changes the nature of the grape. And I would, I would hesitate to bring it even close to freezing. Because you got to bring it back up to temperature. And there's a lot of, uh, I got the word the last time from some French people. They said, you know, you Americans, your your white wine's 10 degrees too cold and your red wine is 10 degrees too warm. So we should have a little cold, red wine a little colder and white wine a little more closer, closer to room temperature. Okay, with that being said, I want to... You know, put in a good word for the people to pay the bills here. Our sponsor, and that's Key Largo Chocolates, operated by the Peterson family. Key Largo Chocolates and Key Largo Chocolate and Ice Cream, they also call themselves, is a favorite destination for locals and vacationers with locations in Key Largo and Isle Mirada. It's 10470 in Overseas Highway in Key Largo, it's 81933 in Almorada You will find some great items in there. They have small batch ice cream, 36 flavors, and uh, sorbets. And they're really excellent. When you get small batch ice cream, it's just a little richer and tastier. I have, I don't know, when I go to stop at their place and I'm get about to get ice cream, and probably have like three, four ideas of what I'm going to have. It could be chocolate, could be vanilla, could be coconut, could be strawberry, or something I, I didn't even think about until I get in. If something catches me, they say, we got this. And I said, I'm going to try that. Well, um, it's it's I'm always amazed by the texture and the taste of it. It's really good. So besides those items, they also have truffles, fudge, cookies, and also well-known for their key lime pie. And their key lime pie uh, bars. They're frozen key lime pie on a bar. And if you are in town, you got to stop by there and check them out. They also have a website where you can order from them and see what kind of items they have for a taste of the Keys. It's www.keylargochocolates.com. And you can order from their website. And if you do go there, please tell them that the Keys bartender sent you. Again, back to it where was i talking and we were talking about red wine white wine but i was talking about things that had to do with a bar well in the bar last night i had some regulars in there and for some reason we got okay we got on the, i know what it was what it was about we got on this subject of rocky and bullwinkle for you some of you younger listeners it was a cartoon from, I'm going to have to say the 60s, early 70s. I don't even know if they were kept on making uh, early, um, in the early 70s. But uh, Rocky and called they made a live action film. So Rocky was the hero and his, uh the enemies. And it was very interesting because it really was one of the, the one shows where they made the villains, Eastern Europeans, in the middle of the Cold War. And it was Boris... I don't know if they were married, but it was Boris Boris, and Natasha Badenoff. And they were from some made-up uh, Eastern European country. They made it up. Yeah, I know. There's no real... And I mean, there could be someone named Badenoff and stuff like that. But I always mention that, like with Bullwinkle, and then the other one was Dudley Do-Right. He was a Canadian Mountie, or even uh, Tarzan. And did I mention Bullwinkle? They were all kind of dim-witted. They were dim-witted. And they were the heroes. And they always kind of won in the end. And the uh, the good the bad guys were very intelligent or sharp. They were sharper. They were a little sharper. They would always kind of scoff at the intelligence of the heroes. Boris and Natasha laughing at the moose and the squirrel. The squirrel, Rocky, wasn't a uh, dimwit. He was always trying to alert Bullwinkle on what he was doing wrong. But Deadly Do-Right, he, he, uh, he was barely functional. And he was a law enforcement official. I mean, I would have been super pissed if I was a Canadian man. He made him look like idiots. And Tarzan was always swinging into trees. You know, in his thing, I, mean, I I don't know how, you know. I just don't know how that came about. Where you had this much, all their adversaries were much sharper than they were. But just through dumb luck, the hero would always win, right? So, but what is one of the in the in the real world? It seems many times that the good guys are really sharp the good guys are very smart but the bad guys are super brutal and extreme. Right? Every so often you get a bad guy that's sharp too. You know? But, they're really brutal and extreme but they're they're dim-witted. They're they're sometimes slow, you know, slow to react doing what I'm doing right now stumbling for words. But yeah, and they and they succeed though. They succeed in, in spite of themselves. Their stupid plans and everything like that. Every so often, like those idiots that were going to uh, kidnap the governor of Michigan. You know, a lot of people forgot about that stuff. Yeah, but there were some idiots that were going to. Uh, they were going to. Uh, they were either going to. I don't know what they were going to do to her, but I heard. I heard that they were going to uh, torture her, perhaps even. Do worse, right? We know what it happened. It's in the news and stuff like that. They caught the guy. The FBI caught the guys, and but they spoke about it pretty publicly, and they did their planning. and it, And you just think, well, how how do these people ever win elections? But they do. They win elections. They become some of them become CEOs of companies. We naturally attribute. Um, intelligence to people that have great wealth well maybe they have no compunction or you know they, they, they don't carry guilt they have no remorse for the things they do they can do whatever they can slander people they can steal cheat and lie and they'll succeed where other people they've you know, they'll call them weak or idiots because they don't cheat, steal, and lie. They say, well, if they want it, all they have to do is what I do. Or like a leader like Putin or something like that. You know, you know, if someone disagrees with you, if someone disagrees with me, I'll, I'll just kill them. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times you think that you attribute people with power and money and success as being intelligent. They just tripped over a recipe for success. You know, if you could be really brutal, if you were, if you needed to, let's say on the basic, the basic, uh, the most basic conflict, physical violence, physical violence, right? Where, if someone, let's say you got in a little dust off some with someone in a parking lot at a grocery store. All right? All right. Could be anything. they over it could be over. They accidentally running their cart in the side of your car. Now you can go out and just get a little argument, get a little pushy fight and stuff like that. Push back and forth, and this guy could just decide. You know, one of the guys say, "Well, I'm not gonna, you know, I this is uh, I'm not gonna get involved in this. I'll just and he whips out a knife and stab you right in the eye, right or shoot you. You know, the people that are afraid of carrying. People carry guns down here all the time in the Keys. We're one of the safest places around. I just say you can get a little dust off. You just don't get in arguments with people. Right? I've never felt threatened down here. Uh, neither has my wife or daughter. I mean, did what, you know, people say, well, you need, when you, you know, with a gun, you're going to really need a gun. But I'm getting off track right there. I'm just saying. People that are successful in the most, any range of conflicts, whether it's in the boardroom or in a the few, they could be more brutal. They could lie. They could cheat. They just have no compunction to, uh, to do whatever it takes to win, where the rest of us have like a boundary, a, a, a line in a sand and we're not going to cross. And we mistake that as weakness and being weak-willed and, and not doing what it takes. You know, sometimes it's very hard to do what it takes. When I say do what what it takes, do what it takes to be a good person. And sometimes it's not, you know, it's not accepting uh, money that you didn't earn or isn't yours. I can get into this whole subject. I mean, we could do a whole show on why do people lie. Part, I mean, obviously lying and... And doing all these other things you do, you know, being brutal, being underhanded, uh, manufacturing your own facts, that that necessarily, you know, in their eyes, you say, listen, I have to do what I have to do in order to succeed. I mean, there's no other option. But they're just pers- they view their self-interest as succeeding at any cost. Now, where the good person, and I hope, I'm not, hey, yeah, listen, I'm not exactly sure where I fall in, in that mix. I know it's kind of a continuum, but good people are generally good, and if you, you know, steal a little, a lot of times you have no problem stealing a lot. So the people that are doing you know, getting the information, trying to learn, uh, not cheating someone, attempting to be factual. They have self-interest too. And their self-interest could be tied to the uh, identification, that they're self-identifying as a good person, an honest person. Right. Even though those... Uh, it, we mistake that 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 makes you weak and it makes you a more likely to be a victim. But I don't think it's all that cut and dry. I think you could do things or sometimes where you have to stand up for what you, what you know to be true. And you can't just back down because someone's threatened to do some harm to you. Because otherwise, they can, you know, if you give someone the license to be able to do things like that, that can threaten you with financial, legal, physical, uh, mental, all those things, or even with libel, like when we spread lies about you, 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 may, you may need to, you know, you may need to back down sometimes, right? But I don't think it's always a given that we have to back down. We just don't have to, we don't, I mean, if the good people identify as good people and some of the bad people identify as good people because they think their goals, their goals are, are pure. The guys that flew their planes, flew the planes into the towers. They thought they were good people. They truly believed they were good people and we saw them as the most evil as they could be. So there's only a couple people out there that are really thriving and realize that that they're not good people. They may be the most dangerous. The people that know they're not good people and they're doing horrible things. They might be the worst. Because you think you can always get a possibility showing the person that actually values the thought the value's the thought that they're a good person. There's some redeeming quality on it. The one that doesn't care if they're a good person, they're not beholden to any fake morality or anything like that. They just go ahead and do their shit. And me saying shit one time just allows me to have to put the explicit on there. Uh, I'd like to thank you for listening to the show. This is the... Uh, this episode and the show is brought to you by Key Largo Chocolates. You can find them at www.keylargochocolates.com. And uh, I'm going to leave you off with this music, and I will be back again on another day. Have a wonderful weekend if you don't hear from me this weekend. Bye.